Isn't that a depressing song? <laughs> That's Mr. Blue Sky by the Electric Light Orchestra. Yeah, I am. I just have that effect on people. <laughs> so, on the next slide here, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get kind of the, the spirit of the song here. Obviously, this, this song is very positive, very, very happy song. And, and I thought of a number of different songs I could have gone with to kind of reflect uh, just the delight and the joy that's found in this song. But again, I wanted to represent the older generation and share something from my childhood days. But I'm kind of challenged as I listen to that song, Mr. Blue Sky. Which sky do I prefer? I mean, I think our natural disposition is that, yeah, we do prefer blue skies, but sometimes we get sucked into functioning more in a gray sky or pessimistic kind of mentality. I think both mentalities, the blue sky or the gray sky, both recognize that joy and trial are both reflected in scripture. It's uh, obviously the scripture points to not just the joy of the Lord, but yeah, there are difficult times. We, we face all kinds of problems and issues in our lives. But do I fundamentally believe that circumstances dictate caution or do I believe that biblical truth dictates hope? See, we've read the end of the book. And we do understand that in the end, we win. There is actually something to look forward to in spite of our present difficulties and problems. Again, if we embrace an attitude that says life stinks and then you die... Uh, but God is there to help us through the misery, I think we're kind of not fully appreciating our potential that we have in Jesus Christ. I appreciate the confession or the uh, statement made on the right-hand side of the screen. The, the, the optimistic position is today's a good day as I receive and release the blessing of God to those around me. And again, fundamentally, if I have an understanding or a thought that God is testing me or that God is out to teach me a lesson more specifically, I'm thinking that I'm missing the fullness of the scriptural message, which fundamentally teaches us that God is for us and not against us. Again, the grace guy or the pessimistic disposition suggests that God is vindictive, that God is essentially mean and cannot be trusted because we've faced a lot of difficulty already in life. But again, the blue sky or the optimistic position suggests that God is redemptive. He's got a plan. He intends to prosper us, not to harm us. And yes, bad things do happen to good people. But we also recognize that good things happen to all people. I'm always amazed when I meet folks from Africa, folks that have nothing. I'm not talking North American nothing. I'm talking continental African nothing. And yet there's this incredible joy 
that fills their hearts. A friend of mine was there taking up an offering a few years back and something I'd never heard of before. But one of the families that came to these meetings, I believe they were in the Congo, uh, they brought their offering. And what they brought was a dirt offering. Now, that's next level poverty. When you're bringing literally a bag of dirt. The thing that impressed my friend, he said they had... They had no seed. They'd already planted all the seed that they had. They had very little food. They were just surviving kind of day to day, waiting for the harvest. Uh, but, but the thing he said that marked him the most was when they brought their offering and they were just so thankful to God because he'd provided them with land in which to plant their crops. He said the thing that stood out to him the most was the joy that permeated this family. And I thought, I don't know that I would be that happy if the best offering I could bring to church was a bag of dirt. But how many times have I seen that in, in the Caribbean nations, in different places I've traveled in the world where there's extreme poverty? I'm perpetually amazed at the joy and contentedness that I see in people. Like, are they faking it? Are they just putting on a show? Like, I doubt I've ever seen such genuine authenticity. And, and this, is, this is the challenge to me. I know that SunWest is a, a place that exists to guide people into lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm hoping our goal is not to be authentically discouraged all the time. Again, I recognize we go through difficulties. I know what it's like to wake up every morning with chronic pain. I know what it's like uh, to wonder if family members are going to survive or not. I faced a measure of difficulty in my life. And yet this song resonates in my heart. I actually have this on my iPod. I didn't just import it for this series. It was already there. It's, it's a personal favorite of mine because if I can be totally authentic with you, the hard times, the difficulties that I go through in my life, I recognize, are you ready for this? They're seasonal. Again, the hard times may last for the night, but the scripture says that joy comes in the morning. Hmm. I'm just putting it out there. Sorry if I'm being biblical. I want to share a very simple outline with you this morning. You'll see it here on the next slide. Five points. I want to talk about rejoice, the resource, the robber, the retaliation, and the reflection. Good? Yeah. Because it's God through my iPod Sunday. So here's where we want to go this morning. We, we do have Bibles for you if you'd like a Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 8. And it's a familiar scriptural pericope. But if you're visiting with us here and you don't have a Bible, feel free to keep this Bible that 
uh, the stewards are handing out this morning. But we're going to be looking in Philippians, the fourth chapter. I'll just read the first two verses for you initially. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Hmm. So this word here, rejoice, it's, it's actually found twice in the first verse. Paul, from the Hebrew culture, repeats the word, which is very rare in the Hebrew language. It's very succinct. So succinct, they don't even have vowels. That's how tight this language is. Uh, but Paul says rejoice, and then in a very unusual move, he repeats it, but then he actually draws attention to it that he's going to say it again. So essentially, he's echoing this one word, this imperative word, three times. He says rejoice. Now watch, I'm going to say this again. So he gets our attention a second time, and then he says it again, rejoice. So he's nailing this with, wow, with a threefold... Uh, attention grabber. So this is obviously something that is ridiculously important to Paul when he says, again in the imperative, rejoice. I looked up this word in the Greek language and it means rejoice. But just so you're clear on the kind of rejoicing you're to do, it's not the kind of rejoicing where you're taking joy in the difficulty of others. It's a rejoicing that's a heart felt joy, mostly because of the position we find ourselves in because of God's abundant and extravagant grace. Verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So that's the perspective for our rejoicing. Again, we're not making fun of people. We're not happy because others are miserable. Again, the scripture does say that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think sometimes, given our jealous nature, we tend to rejoice when people are mourning and mourn when other people are rejoicing. Oh, he got a raise. Oh, he got the raise taken away. <laughs> and that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying we are to be appropriately joyful. I'm looking at that picture of my youngest, Sam. I love the picture partly because he's eating his favorite food, spaghetti. You can see he got some of it into the actual spaghetti hole. Um, most of it went onto his cheeks. Although it looks like he's wearing a chapeau, those are actually underwear on his head. <clears throat> And for me as a dad, like there's such joy in that. I mean, he's just, he's messy. He's, he's got underwear on his head. Thankfully, he's out of the clean laundry basket. That means a lot to me. <laughs> but there's just this sweet innocence about his joy. And again, I, I use that picture because I think that's a very apt reflection of the kind of joy that we are to have in our relationship with God. Just this pure innocence, enjoying life, even though things are messy, even though we may from time to time find ourselves with undergarments draped over the tops of our heads. On the next slide, I want to talk about 
tied into this, I want to talk about this incredible resource of joy. Nehemiah 8.10, there's this familiar verse where as they've concluded building the wall, they're having a big party. Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and and remember those who have nothing prepared because this day is sacred to our Lord. Don't grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's interesting. It's such a sober day for the children of Israel. Nehemiah draws this distinction. Don't grieve. And the four there is indicative of, of a very clear reason to put aside your grieving. Again, it's, it's seasonal grieving. It's seasonal joy. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. My big takeaway from that verse, what the, what the scripture is saying to me, if the joy of the Lord is your strength, I need to protect my joy. I'll tell you something I've learned over the years. If I'm going to contend for something, I'm going to contend for joy. Because if I can have my joy stolen, if I walk perpetually in a state of grieving, and, and don't get me wrong, again, I'm saying we need to be authentic. There are seasons of grief that come to us. We need to embrace them, not sweep it under the carpet. We, we need to experience grief and, and not, not just pretend it's not happening. I'm not saying we need to fake joy. That's not where I'm going. But I am saying if we let grief rule the day, we will lose our strength. And it's not just a one-off thing in Scripture. It's actually, there's an abundance of teaching in the Scripture about joy. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It goes through all the fruits. But the second one is suggesting to me that a natural byproduct of walking with God, with having relationship with the Holy Spirit, the fruit or the evidence, the proof, the byproduct of that, not just love, not just peace, but joy. Joy. I know this one's kind of kind of difficult for us at times because sometimes you just don't feel like being joyful. But there's actually a purpose to the fruit. I remember speaking with Dr. Charles Hotstofsky from the university. And Dr. Hotstofsky introduced to me a term I'd never heard before. Facultative mutualism. I said, cool. It's good to know that term. Facultative mutualism is this relationship that exists between trees plants of various kinds, and animals. These trees have fruit, and it's not just, not just a, a nut or a berry, uh, or sorry, a seed hanging on the branch. It's surrounded with this fleshy, fruity stuff, filled with sucrose, filled with sugar, usually a bright color. So animals come along, it's easy to recognize the fruit. They eat the fruit. They digest the fruit. 
And then over the course of time, they wander about and then they leave the fruit in other places with built-in fertilizer. It's an incredible thing that animals do to help perpetuate the seed. And the kingdom of God is the same. There's this seed, there's this life-giving message called the good news. It's the hope, it's the life that we have in Jesus. And God chose to put this seed into a fruitful context. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness. He put all these fruits on the seed. The fruit is actually called human beings. And we carry this love and this joy and this peace. And guess what? All of a sudden the seed becomes attractive to people around us. They're like, hey, how come you've just been through this huge medical procedure and somehow you managed to have a smile on your face? How come you just heard this news that the doctors have given you six months to live and you seem to be one of the happiest people I have ever met? How come there's such conflict going on in our workplace right now, but you are so calm? You're so filled with peace. You're so nice. To other people, again, this is what makes the seed attractive because, again, we know the end of the book. We know the end of the story. We know that there's reason to take hope and to have joy. And even though we authentically go through seasons of pain and grieving, at the end of the day, we receive this exhortation from Paul to be happy, to be filled with joy. Again, David said in Psalm 1611, in your presence... There's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. If we're daily in his hands, the attractiveness of the gospel is written on our faces. Wow. That's the resource of our joy. On the next slide, you'll see that there is a robber of our joy. His name is Satan. Not Jatan, the NHL hockey player, but rather Satan. He's called in scripture Belial, the father of lies. He's the robber again. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come so that you can have life to the fullest. Make no extent, make no mistake that the enemy is aware if he can steal your joy, he can steal your strength. He is out to steal your joy. Funny thing is, though, you're not going to probably face some guy with little horns and a pitchfork and flames coming out of his nose, and if you hook him up to the possessometer, he's going to score a 6.0. Now, we're talking a little more subtle attack. You'll see this on the next slide. There's many things that will try to rob us of our rejoicing, and the recurring thing that you'll see in all of these things that are trying to steal our rejoicing is they're all things that can easily come from within. Just parts of our human or fleshly disposition that we can easily function in these things rather than functioning in the rejoicing of God. So, I think what it's all about is perspective. Again, you'll see this on the next slide. 
pessimism is a very painful perspective to walk through life with. Optimism, on the other hand, is a game changer. James, again, this isn't just some guy in the Bible. This is a guy who hung out with, grew up with in the same household as our Lord Jesus. And here's what James said. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or temptations of many kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance has to finish its course. It has to have its perfect work so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking any good thing. So again, James grew up with Jesus. James grew up in a household probably where the culture was. When bad news came, when difficulties came, James would watch his older brother hear the news and see a smile creeping to the face of his brother, Jesus, his half-brother really. Because there was this this disposition of, wow, troubles are coming. This is leading somewhere. God has a plan in this. And again, it's all about perspective. When the problem comes our way, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not fully here yet. I'm partly there, but I find when I'm fully there, people tend to think I'm psychotic. Because you get, you get bad news, and right away you start to process, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to be able to handle this? What, what if we pray and God doesn't bring healing? What if we pray and the finances don't come? What if we pray and I do get laid off? Like, what's this going to look like? And right away, the furrow comes to the brow. The heart rate starts to go up. You get a little bit nervous. You might start perspiring. You can feel the tightness in your chest. You start to feel a little shaky. But at the same time, there's this overwhelming sense of peace as a follower of Christ. He's got this. And see, that's the breakdown of the issue right there. Is if I trust him, if I trust him, I'm good. If I'm not so sure, and again, James unpacks this a little later in that same chapter, chapter 1. It's easily uh, to be like, you know, just kind of on the waves, kind of tossed back and forth. Like, is this going to work out? Is this not going to work out? I'm really not sure. I'm, I'm unstable in my thinking. One moment I'm believing and I'm filled with faith. The next moment I'm just filled with, with doubt and fear. And James says, no, when you get that news... When you hear things aren't necessarily working the way you'd like, consider that joy. Like, like take that moment and be happy knowing that God's working it out. Again, we know that in all things, God works together for the good of them that love him and are called according to this purpose, his purpose. So is there this blind optimism? It's going to be awesome. No. Again, we're authentically processing these thoughts that, yeah, I'm going through a hard time. This, this might be grievous. Again, it's, it's not a good response to hear. Like I remember two years ago hearing that my wife had gone septic. I can't imagine responding, praise the Lord, that's awesome. So you're saying she might be dead in a couple days. Again, you should be thrown in jail if that's your response. But on the inside, 
I remember hearing the doctor say in German, septic. And everything around me, I just, I, I could feel the fear moving in, knowing that a good friend of ours had just passed away the previous years because he had gone septic. But I remember in that moment feeling this peace just kind of wash over me. I'm like, God, what's going to happen? Just in my head, I'm hearing the doctor talk, but in my head I'm like, is my wife going to be dead in 24, 48 hours? Like, what's going on here? But I remember pausing for a moment and just feeling this overwhelming sense of peace. It's all going to be cool. I remember hearing this assurance from the Father. Mark, I've got you. I remember a smile coming to my face. Not this ecstatic, crazy joy, but this peaceful sense of rejoicing. God's going to work this out. I remember putting the message on Facebook, the prognosis my wife had. I remember over a thousand people responding that they were praying. And in the midst of one of the darkest couple weeks of my life, there was still this sense, not just of peace, but a genuine sense of joy. And that's the perspective I want to live with. Because again, Paul said, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. He didn't say, oh, just when things are going well. And James didn't say, count it joy whenever things are going well. But rather, joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, that has established something in my life. That attitude of rejoicing has built a solid foundation. You'll see it here on the next slide, that rejoicing is the house that truth built. It's a Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth, never mind. <laughs> Fourthly, you'll see on the next slide, retaliation. So we've talked about rejoicing, we've talked about the resource, we've talked about the robber of our rejoicing, but I want to talk to you about the retaliation. As we read on in the scripture, it says in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanks, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Did you catch that? transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I remember I mentioned this concept last year, but I think it bears repeating again, and since we're in the scripture that this concept comes from. I, I think what happens is, when we're faced with bad news, when we're faced with difficulty, when we're faced with seasons of grieving, it's easy to let our prayer lives deteriorate into a groaning and moaning session. We talk to God and it's like we're complaining 
And again, God can handle that. You'll see throughout the Psalms, David is very honest with his prayers, brutally honest with his prayers. But here, Paul is suggesting an alternative. Rather than praying anxiety, rather than being filled with anxiety, and again, he puts this qualifier on it, in everything, so that's good and bad stuff, with prayer and petition and thanks, you present your requests to God. And again, I mentioned this last year, but, but you know, there's two ways of praying the situation. You can, pay, you can pray the facts of the situation or you can pray the situation in faith. And the Bible doesn't say without facts it's impossible to please God. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. So you can pray just kind of complaining to God. Oh God, my life sucks. Oh God, you see the heaviness of the situation. Lord, you see how my, my wife is sick and not doing well. Lord, you see how I have to stay home extra hours in the evening. Rather than doing something fun, I've got to stay home and do the dishes and clean up because my wife is struggling. My kids, my kids have pneumonia. They're not doing well in school. They have no friends. Lord, you see the heaviness. Even my dog. My dog is sick. My dog has herpes. <laughs> Lord, you see the plight of our situation. Can't afford the mortgage anymore. We've lost our home. We're living down by the river in a van under the bridge. Oh, Lord, hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. Help us, God. Help us, God. Like, like, I hear prayers like that, and I think, why bother? Like, why? That's not faith. That's just stating the facts to a God who's omniscient. Like, he's up in heaven going, yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, I know. I know. But again, Paul here, again, it's not a formulaic thing. It's an attitudinal thing when he says, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanks, present your requests to God. So that looks radically different if, if your prayer, if your petition is seasoned with thanksgiving. Oh, Father, I thank you that even though my wife is sick, it could be a lot worse. And I thank you that you have spared her. I thank you that your promises towards her are yes and amen. I thank you that you have a plan to prosper her and to give her a hope in a future and that her life will not end in misery. Thank you, God, that you're healing my wife and looking after her. Thank you that you promised healing in the scripture and you've taken that Lord Jesus on the cross and, and you have a plan to heal her. We thank you. And thank you that even my kids have pneumonia. I thank you that it's not leprosy or cancer. I thank you, God, that, that you're, you're making a way for my kids and, and that your air, your breath is filling their lungs and you are healing my children. And I thank you, God, that even my dog is going to be healed of herpes. And that even if my dog is not healed, we know the promise of your word that all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that assurance and that peace. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in a tent in the cold months of February. But you've given us the warmth of this beautiful van 
this 1972 ugly as anything van that I think Scooby-Doo and Shaggy used to drive. We're so grateful for this wonderful van. And thank you that we're able to park it under the bridge, near the river, uh, fresh flowing water that is there every day. We're just so grateful for that, Lord. And we trust you to provide us with housing. We trust you, God, to look after us. And we give you thanks. You see, there's a slight difference in the prayers. Like when we can pray with thanks, what we're suggesting is that the answer is already on its way. That is a posture of faith. That's a posture of hope. That is the essence of joy and rejoicing is that it even affects your prayer that you're not filled with anxiety, but you're filled, as the scripture says, with thanksgiving and faith. That's how we retaliate. So when, when the enemy comes at us with fear and doubt, pessimism and cynicism, we respond with thanksgiving. Again, that's a heart that's been affected by rejoicing. And lastly, the very last verse of these five verses, verse 8 says, Finally, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, again, I'll be straight with you. I don't know about you, but I find that tricky. When the hard news comes, when I'm right in the middle of difficulty, are you ready for this? My fleshly response is, I just want to figure this out. I want a solution. I want to figure out, God, what are you doing to me? Why do bad things happen to good people and me? Like, why is this happening? God, I, I need to process this. But the scripture doesn't point us towards figuring everything out. I'm so appreciative of David's response as he's reflecting, as he's having a time of trying to figure it out. He, he's, he's in the traditional place that most human beings get to when we're struggling through difficulties. David said, yeah, I was really having a hard time. I was very oppressed when I looked at the wicked and how so many good things were happening to them, he said it was oppressive to me. When David's going through hardship and David's response was, it was oppressive to me until I entered the Lord's sanctuary. Like when David met with the presence of God, he didn't say he found an answer, but there's, there's a measure of peace that David comes to. And again here, the scripture doesn't say, figure out why this is happening to you. The scripture says, focus on the true, the noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, that's the stuff you think about. I find if I try to figure it out, it's, to me, a downward spiral that I just can't get out of. And again, David said that it was oppressive thinking. Paul's solution here in the New Testament is to think about the positive components of what God's doing. 
Mm. Two years ago when my wife was literally deathly ill, she got out of the hospital. And that following week, we're on the mission field. We're living in Central Europe. And our largest supporter called us. Actually, they just emailed us and said, we've decided to cut your financial support and we're going to do it a few months earlier than we'd initially promised. So we're not going to renew your support into next season and we're going to cut it off earlier. Mm. Nice timing. And then about two weeks later, our second largest supporting church called us and also said that they weren't going to renew our support in the coming season. So within a three-week period, my wife had almost died, and our income had literally cut in half. That was a hard day. It was a hard week. It was a hard month. And out of nowhere, a friend of mine called and he said, Hey, Mark, how's your wife doing? I said, well, slightly better. He said, well, we just had it in our heart that we wanted to invite you away for some vacation with us. We, we want to cover the flights. We want you and Tammy and Sam to come. We'll pay for the flights. We'll cover all your expenses, all your food, all your accommodation, all your entertainment, and we'll just go away together. And I said, wow, good timing. Who, uh, who told you? He said, who told me what? I said, who, I said, who told you that our income had just been cut in half and there's no way we could go away for summer vacation this summer? I said, did the missions agency call you? Did, did our denomination call? How'd you hear about this? He said, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just had it in my heart that we would invite you for a vacation. I said, so you didn't know any of this? He said, well, I knew Tammy was sick and thought I'd just invite you to, to come. I said, but nobody told you. He said, no, no one told me. I just felt this is what we should do. I remember hanging up from that phone call and saying to my wife, it's like God said, he's got us. Like I didn't know how we were going to get through the next few weeks and a dear friend calls us, pays for flights, we get to have vacation time with this guy and process all the pain that we've been through in recent months. And I was so delighted. I, I was just so encouraged by the incredible timing and provision of God to work out this really ugly circumstance. And even when things were bad the following few months, even as my wife struggled in her recovery, even as finances were real tight, I just, I had this incredible sense, yeah, but, but God remembered us. Remember how he worked out that vacation, how we had a week away, how our friend picked us up at the airport, and as I was walking to the car, he's, he grabs my suitcase, and as we head to the little parking kiosk thing to... To pay for our parking, I, I pulled out my, 
my uh, credit card to put it in the machine, and he grabbed my wrist and he said, now Mark, just so we don't have any fights, I told you I'm paying for everything. And I had those beautiful memories to hold on to for, for weeks and months to come that God looked after every single detail. Paul says, reflect on that stuff. Yeah, your wife almost died. Yeah, your income was cut in half. But remember how I looked after you. I don't, I don't know if I've shared this story with you here. The, the story of my daughter. I'll close with this story. She was five. She was in kindergarten. Every day that she came back from kindergarten, she had some kind of negative report. How was school today? Awful. Oh, really? What? And every day she had something negative to say about school. This went on for over a month at school, and then finally I said to my daughter, that's enough. I want you to move towards more optimistic thinking. And I explained to her what optimism was, about having a good, ref a good report and reflecting on the positive things rather than dwelling on the negative. She said, okay, Dad, I'll try my hardest. And I said, if you do, tomorrow when you come home from school, I'll have a treat for you. When I ask you that question, I'm expecting a good response. But if I hear a negative report from you, I'm going to send you to your room so you can think about it. So the next day she came home from school, and usually her reports were like, oh, somebody splashed water on me at the work center, somebody got sand on me in the sandbox station in kindergarten. She always had something negative to say. But this particular day she came home and I said, so Brindley, how was your day at school? Oh, Dad. Oh, and she caught herself. Um, well, today at school, at least they didn't kill me. <laughs> that a girl. Whatsoever things are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent. They didn't kill you. Praise God, that's an awesome report. Thanks for thinking on those things. <laughs> True story. At the end of the day, I want to ask you, what are you thinking about? What are you praying about? Are you moaning and groaning? Are you murmuring back to the Lord, as the Israelites did? Or are you finding something positive to think about? Again, even if you have the worst of days, there's something worth giving thanks for at the end of the day. This is the posture of the Apostle Paul. And you've read his resume. He had been shipwrecked several times. He had been stoned. And I'm not talking the good kind of stoned. He had been beaten with rods. He'd been left for dead. He'd been forsaken by all his brothers but Paul wasn't one to either brag about those things or dwell on those things. Paul was the one to say, you know, if you can find something good, if you can find something true, if you can find something noble or right or pure, something lovely or admirable, those are the things we want to think about. And when we pray, we're going to pray with thanksgiving. 
Now listen, I'm not so naive to think that life is all roses. I'm not so naive to think that we can just have this mindless positivity that consumes everything we do. But, but what I am saying is if we just recognize who God is and what his plans are for us, we can actually, rather than fighting against the joy, rather than dwelling in an authentic place of grieving, and again, it may be rightfully so because we're going through stuff, we can instead, by faith, embrace a posture to say, yes, I will rejoice. Yeah, things aren't perfect in my life, but I thank God that today I'm healthy. I, I, I can honestly say I'm standing here today in front of you, and at this point I'm not experiencing any pain. That's a good day. Sure, I had to stand under a warm shower for 45 minutes to start the day, but that's not the issue now. I'm saying right now, I feel good. Uh, the spirit of, I, mean, I know this was not the planned song, but the spirit of James Brown is upon me, and I feel good. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah, my wife has been through incredibly horrific health issues these last couple of years, but I'm thankful that she's not in heaven. I'm thankful that she's still here. And you know what? Call me naive. Call me silly, but I still like to have fun. A merry heart does us good like a medicine. And I'm going to choose to rejoice. I'm going to choose to enjoy life and have fun. I'm going to choose to listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Rejoice, I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's a sweet place to be. I invite the worship team to come. And they're going to share a song with us as they close called 10,000 Reasons. And I'm going to ask you as you sing the chorus of this song, as you hit the refrain, bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to ask you not to just let everybody else respond. I'm going to ask you to respond. As a matter of fact, would you just mind even now standing to your feet And just as they start to play, would you, as the psalmist David said, would you just remember what the Lord has done for you? Would you just take a minute to just give thanks? Give thanks for the current level of health that you do have. Give them thanks for your family, for your friends, for the relationships that you have around you. Give them thanks for his provision for you. I know many of you are working your jobs. It's For some of you, I, I've heard the stories. You know, it's a miracle. Everybody else in my department is gone, but I'm still here. I know some of you have lost your jobs. Aren't, aren't you thankful in a country where we get employment insurance? I'm very thankful for friends and networks that help us through difficult times. There's lots to be thankful for. I'm going to ask as you sing this song, just let a spirit of thanks just wash over you. And then in a couple minutes, I'm going to come back and close in prayer. Bless you guys. Thank you, Jesus. Can I tell you what I'm thankful for? I'm 
thankful for an incredible church family. One of many things I'm thankful for. I saw how many of you in recent weeks, last week, many of you got up early to volunteer for the Stampede Breakfast and you loved your neighbors. Thank you for volunteering. I'm so thankful for how many of you Sunday morning after Sunday morning you'll again get up early and help us set up and tear down so we can have these worship gatherings every Sunday. We don't take you for granted. Thankful for so many of you who volunteer in the children's ministry and summer cinema. Bless you for that. Sunday after Sunday I I see your faithfulness and giving and I'm Usually Wednesday-ish of the week, I'll get a a report, an email on what the giving was, and I just shake my head and say, these SunWest people, they're so faithful. They're so faithful. They're so consistent. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for how you gather together throughout the year in small groups, pray with each other, love each other. I see crisis come and hits individuals' lives, and there's home group people showing up at your door with casseroles and salads and hugs and prayers. It's beautiful to see. Last month, uh, a couple reached out to us in crisis. Just going through a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of pain in the home. A little bit of first family dysfunction where the husband just wasn't being appropriate. The wife reached out to us and said, I just, I need help. And because of your giving at Christmas time, as Colton mentioned earlier, we have $17,000 in our budget and we were just, just getting down to the last several hundred dollars and I was able to say to that couple, after talking with them, praying with them, meeting with them a couple times, saying to them, listen, you guys really need some professional help and you need to dig into the bottom of this issue. We're able to send them for counseling. Actually, uh, Kelvin Block was so gracious to take them in early that week after a weekend crisis. And after a little bit of tension, the couple went for a few Visits and, and we were just praying that everything would come out and, and they'd kind of hit a wall and things weren't coming out and then we prayed again and that week we got another breakthrough and the couple's doing better. It's not perfect, but I'm just so thankful that we had that benevolence fund to, to draw off of to send this, this dear couple for some help who'd been really struggling. But that money's all gone now. <laughs> And we've given away a record amount of help, not just from our benevolence budget, but from our campus ministry budget as well. So I'm appealing to you today so that if some other crisis is going to happen in the next couple weeks, and trust me, I'm, I'm a positive person, but I know stuff happens. And we'll be helping more couples. We'll be helping more families. We've been helping... SunWest families significantly and then some other people that are extended connections of SunWest we've been helping them in a less significant way again because of the economic downturn as Colton mentioned so I'm going to ask as you go this morning uh, you know how people often say well yeah I have this little bit of money set aside for a rainy day 
for some folks right now, like today, it's raining. as your pastor, lead pastor of SunWest, I'm appealing to this campus and to our McKenzie campus as well to just pray about what you can do. I know, again, it's an economic downturn. A lot of us are struggling because of it. But would you do something? And again, just market benevolence if you want to give it uh, one of the, at the, the point of purchase terminals on your way out by Interact or Visa or MasterCard. Or if you want to give online through your Push Pay app or on your smartphone. If you do something, I, I know that when this community stands together, and again, I also wanted to commend you on how you've stepped up for this refugee family. I mean, it is off the charts how quickly we met our financial goals for that. We do have more financial goals upcoming as this family settles in with us. But again, today, if you can do something to help us with our Benevolence Fund, That'd be huge. So pray about it, think about it. And if you can do something either online or on, in person on your way out, I believe the ushers are going to be standing at the back if you'd like to give cash as well. But can I just pray over you before you go? Father, thanks for this family. They're so good at looking after each other. And they're also incredibly good at reaching out to help others. We've seen that demonstrated in so many ways. Father, as we go from this place today, would you fill our hearts not just with a peace, but with a joy that comes from connecting with you, from this posture of faith, knowing, yeah, not only is everything going to be okay, but we also have this promise of living forever with you. As we commit our hearts to Jesus as being the preeminent one, the Lord, the boss of our lives. We have not just a bit of security now in this moment, but forever. We know that we will spend it with you in heaven. So Father, we just invite you today, whatever things are making us heavy, whatever things are sucking the life out of us, discouraging us, frustrating us, Lord, we just cast those cares and anxieties onto you. We know that you will work everything out because you've promised it not once or twice, but dozens of times in the scripture. You invite us to this place of abandonment, of just trusting you even when we don't have it all figured out. So today, we give it all to you. I ask your blessing, Father, on this dear congregation. I thank you for their love. I thank you for just the, the spirit of mutual edification and encouragement. <coughs> Father, would you cover us with your love, with your joy, with your peace. And now, may God our Father cover you with his abounding love. May you know the sweet relationship of our Lord Jesus Christ, our brother and savior.
and also the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit who gives a permanent sense of his joy for now and eternity. May he cover you always in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before you go, smile at somebody and remind them they're one of the 50 best looking people you've seen all day. Give them a hug before you go. Bless you. Have a great week.